was the first time I ever saw that. And then my, my sister corrected me. She said, you need to call it a Garth Brooks mic. Uh, and so I texted, uh, actually, right as I got it on, I texted Pastor, and I said, uh, I don't wear it as well as you do, but I'll see how it does. Uh, so uh, I actually tried to listen to the podcast recording from uh, the first uh, lesson, the first week's lesson, and I could barely hear myself. And Aaron said he thinks it's a recording thing. But I was like, just in case it's that little handheld mic, I'm going to try uh, to do it like the big boys. And so... We'll see how it goes. Um, if I'm up here twiddling my thumbs, you know, I just don't know what to do. Um, I do, uh, do want to reiterate what Aaron said. You know, just be in prayer for Pastor. Um, it's, it's been a difficult stretch uh, for him and his family, even going back to uh, before Christmas uh, with the kids being sick. And, and when you have a large family, uh, a lot of kids, it is, it's just a season. Uh, it's a tough season. Uh, this time of year... Um, of course, Facebook memories will pop up, and Sarah and I will constantly see where, um, whether it was when uh, Emma, Isabella, and Olivia were little, uh, or even just a couple years ago with Amelia and Abigail, it seemed like every couple days it'll just pop up, you know, going to miss the family at church today, kids are sick, pray for sanity, um, just because it just gets there, so... Uh, we do do uh, want you to pray for Pastor, and we also ask that you pray for the teens. Um, tomorrow after school, uh, there will be uh, three couples, uh, my wife Sarah and myself, uh, and Anna and Aaron Fisher, and Kyle and Brittany Pickering. We will be leaving to take the teens to uh, Orlando. Um, Universal Studios is hosting uh, a music uh, festival, a Christian music festival. Uh, and so it uh, is no doubt going to be fun, but uh, we get to get into the park at 4 p.m. and it goes until 1 a.m. So um, that's uh, it's not going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. The kids are going to have a great time, uh, but it's definitely going to be interesting. So pray for those boys uh, who are going to be in my room who have never seen a CPAP machine. Um, but, you know, I promise it's for their own good. Um, so the, the study on the War of Words, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and just, you know, every time I look at it, I think, just like Paul Tripp said, and I mentioned it in the first week, in the opening, and I think Andy echoed it last week, Paul Tripp said he did not write this book because he had it figured out. He wrote it because he needed it. And every time I open... Uh, the book, The War of Words, to read the next chapter and to delve in and study it. I'm reminded how much I need it. Um, I thought Andy was going was gonna to share the, the joke. As soon as Pastor handed out the schedule for it, uh, lesson one belonged to me. It was God Speaks. Lesson two was Andy's, and it was Satan Speaks. And Andy said, I know, what, I know how you feel about me, Pastor. Uh, but this week, uh, it's actually going to be we're going to be talking about the Word in flesh. Christ is our answer. Um, you know, I mentioned week one, the informal Facebook poll that I did, where I just asked people to define the word, word. And the overwhelming majority came back and shot Romans 1-1 at me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. Uh, in those first five verses of the book of John identify Christ as the Word. And so as we delve into this week's study, it's something we need to take into consideration and realize is that 
Christ as the word is our answer for the war of words. Uh, the main idea that we're going to learn tonight, the problem with our words is an intensely spiritual one, a problem of the human heart, and only Christ is the answer. Again, looking at the book of James, and I think this is going to come up so often in this study, but the passage where James is talking about the tongue, he says, no man can tame the tongue, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. If you would open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Uh, and I'll kind of start with the, the opening illustration here. Um, February 20th will mark seven years ago to the day that Sarah and myself and our three kids at the time, Amelia, uh, Emma, Isabella, and Olivia, left Memphis to drive to Port Canaveral, Florida. It would be our first time as a family to ever drive through Jacksonville, and uh, the year prior to the company that I worked for had been a banner year. We met all of our sales goals, and so my boss, who was also my uncle, said, your reward is an all-expense-paid cruise for you and your family. And so we were going on a cruise out of Port Canaveral. We were going to go to uh, Cozumel and the Bahamas. It's going to be great. Really looking forward to it. So much so that the week prior, Friday, February the 13th, I had a heart procedure. Uh, I was having uh, PVCs, and so I had an ablation. Uh, they went in through my leg, went up, burned a spot on my heart. Everything's been fine since then. But as we were preparing to leave that day, I had a bruise that went from midway up my side down past my knee. Really worried about clotting. I had a long drive ahead of us, and so I went to the doctor, got the all clear. He said, just stop every couple hours, walk around. Not a problem. So I literally left the doctor, drove home, packed the car, and we left out of Memphis about 3 o'clock that afternoon. We had younger kids who were going to drive through the night. No problem until we got about an hour into our drive. Uh, coming out of Memphis, heading southwest is Highway 72. It runs down through Tupelo, Mississippi, and ultimately ends up on I-22 in Birmingham. So as we stopped for dinner in Tupelo, we stopped at a little uh, deli there, and somebody asked us, they said, where are you heading? You staying, you staying tonight? It's like, no, we gotta get to Fort Canaveral. We've got a cruise ship that we can board at 10 o'clock in the morning. It gave us about 15 hours. Um, and they said, oh, I don't think you're going to make it. It's like, what are you talking about? Now, it had been raining up in, up in Middle Tennessee. They had had a massive winter storm that had dropped like two inches of ice over the Nashville area. But we were about two and a half hours south of that. Wasn't a problem. Temperature was um, right about 40 degrees when we left Memphis, and I'm heading south. Not going to be a problem. Well, I, uh, I heeded their warning, like any, you know, proud man would, and we loaded up in the van, and we got back on the road. And as we headed out of Mississippi, we got to the state line of Alabama, and I realized that Highway 72 was a solid sheet of ice. Now, 72 is a very hilly road as it goes up and down and up and down um, with nothing but the occasional truck stop, and all of the exits go uphill. So as we are going down Highway 72, we start to see more and more of these 
SUVs, minivans like the one that we were in, small cars and big trucks all off on the side of Highway 72. And of course, Sarah is in the passenger seat, white knuckling the dashboard. She is panicked the whole time. I don't think she said many words other than break, 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 break. Now, we're in Florida. I have very limited experience driving on snow and ice. I'm not afraid to do it. I don't panic. I just get out. I do it. I worry about the other guy, but I'm not going to overcorrect, and I'm not going to hit my brakes on ice. I know that. And so I would very calmly told Sarah, you don't hit your brakes on ice. That's where we get in trouble. And so I was sliding along the ice at about 60 miles an hour all the way down 72. And this was just natural speed. You know, once I got up to speed, I wasn't going to stop. And so it took me the hills up and down, up and down. A salt truck would come up behind us and I would get over behind it just because I knew they had traction, we'd be okay. And we did that for about an hour and a half, two hours, which normally would have been about a 45 minute trip between Tupelo and Birmingham. Just before we got into Birmingham, there was a, um, the road is elevated, so it's, it's on a bridge that banks. And, you know, it turns right, and it's a hard turn. And as we approached it, I knew it was there. As we approached it, you kept seeing brake lights and brake lights and brake lights. And so as we got up there, there was a, there were cars that were trying to go across, but they would get on it and they would slide down. They would get on it and slide down. So I just, all these cars are stacked up. I went, I exited the on-ramp, went the wrong way, got off and we took back roads until things finally cleared up about 2 a.m. We were able to get far south enough to where there was no ice, and Sarah said, we have got to stop. We gotta stop somewhere, I don't care where. It didn't fit in my schedule, it didn't fit in our budget, but I was like, fine. So we just got a little, ho a little hotel room, slept for three hours, and I was like, we gotta go. So we made it. But I tell people often about that, that trip, and it's one of those things, I think if God took the blinders off of my eyes, that I would have seen angels on the corners of our vehicle like Secret Service agents. That's the only way I can explain how we made it through that night. But having driven on ice before, having lost control uh, on ice before, it's, it's scary to get in a place where you are out of control with nothing that you can do. And really as I look back, I, I think I was crazy to be on that road that night because there was literally nothing that I could do. I was completely at the mercy of God. And when I think about being out of control and, and having all of that stress on us, that was the first thing I came up with when I was reading in the book here and it was talking about the reckless way that we use our words. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, it, it speaks volumes and it's very rich in instruction, but Paul uses phrases in that passage like lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, unity, and peace. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want anybody to lie, but 
how many of you would say that your home is characterized by all of those words? I can tell you for certain, my house is not. Um, as I was thinking about the, um, the trip coming up for tomorrow with the teens, um, it's been many years since we took an official youth group trip. My wife and I, we used to work with our youth in Memphis. And it was about 12, 12 years ago where on our last trip I met Brian Sams. Um, now it's a youth group trip every time I go to the grocery store with all of our kids um, but you get all of the things that come with more people different attitudes different personalities different issues different likes and dislikes and so you get all this friction and this tension and what do we do with it how do we handle it all when I think about that I feel like that white Volkswagen Rutan going down Highway 72. I have no control over what's going to happen here. And when I think about the words that I use, the words that my kids see me use and that they pattern in their own lives, I have to realize that I, myself, am completely and totally incapable of fixing this. The only way that I can do it is through the Word using that answer that we have in Christ. Tonight we're going to realize that we have a grave communication problem that is much more fundamental than skill, technique, and vocabulary. Um, right now, Emma is, she's probably just finished up a um, diagnostic SAT. Um, we're trying to see if we need to get her some help as she takes her SAT and college exams and uh, college uh, applications and things like that but one of the things I don't think that child loves to read if you've seen her recently she is carrying a book around that is I kid you not is probably three and a half four inches thick that she just loves to read she has a very immense vocabulary when we flip the script and we've got Abigail who has very immense vocabulary now I don't understand half of it she uh, she talks about her fingers uh, and of course when I go to say something Sarah's like don't you dare correct my baby she's like that is cute and she will keep that until her teachers correct her it is not your place <laughs> yes ma'am I survived to have five kids because I know when to say yes ma'am um, but not only do we have um, a, a more fundamental problem um, because it is more it's deeper than just technique it's deeper than skill and vocabulary we need a greater answer. We need something that's going to get down to the root of the problem. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, where we're at, verses 15 through 23, Paul, it's a lengthy portion of scripture, and I want to read it here as quickly as I can, but he gives us four resources that we can use in our struggle with our words. And so I'll start reading here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Um, and it's very telling here, the heading uh, in, in the passage here is a prayer for spiritual wisdom. Verse 15, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
what are the riches of his glory, of his, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The first resource he mentions here is hope. Um, and that is found here in verse, let's see, uh, verse number 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is hope? Uh, the first thing that I, when I hear the word hope, is I think of wish. Um, now, I will admit to you, uh, some of you who are older would, would, uh, re, uh, would know the name Dusty Springfield. Uh, and I remembered a song being uh, in uh, a movie in the 90s. I think it was called My Best Friend's Wedding, but it's wishing and hoping and praying and thinking. Uh, and so I went back, I listened to it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a song. Because when I think of hope, I think about wishing. But as a Christian, that is not what our hope is. One of the things I love about our church is, are the songs that we sing. And even this last Sunday, we sang the song, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. But one of my favorites is the song that we sing, Living Hope. I want to read to you the the lyrics from that song. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I am yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body, your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, The grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours, is the victory. The course goes on. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. When we read the word hope in the Bible, it is not a wishful desire. It is not, um, it's not to be just something that we want to happen. It is the expected deliverance of God's promise. Um, I think about Christ and how he is our hope. Um, sometimes you can get into conversations with, with people, uh, unbelievers, and if, if the topic of faith comes up, you know, they, they kind of throw back, well, that's what you believe. It's not just a belief. It is a knowledge. I know this is going to happen. It's not something that I 
believe. It's not something that I wish for. It is something that I can hope in, that I place my faith and trust in, that is life-altering, that changes the way I do things because Christ is my hope. He is that expected end. Um, because we have that expected end, we are not subject to the fleeting feelings of this life. When we are going through a trial, when we are feeling those insecurities and, and the doubt is creeping up, we don't have to give in to those because we have our grounded hope. Our faith is, is grounded in Christ. And so when we get into those moments in our communication, when we're dealing with our words, where we feel like we have no control over them, and we've all been there. We got an email today um, from Abigail's teacher who the, the, you know the email is going to be great when it, when it starts off. I never wanted to send this email. But Abigail had, she was, earlier in the day, she was taking her sweatshirt off. And so she took her glasses off. She put them on the ground. And the teacher said, no, no, sweetheart. We don't put our glasses on the ground. Let me hold them for you. Well, when it came time to put it back on to go back outside, she took her glasses off and put them on the ground. And she went to put that sweatshirt on. And, and Abigail says the teacher did it. The teacher just said someone did it. But Abigail says that uh, the teacher drug her glasses with the tip of her toe. And so what happened? Her glasses and the earpieces. So, you know, you know, Abigail, she's going to make the best. She turned them around and she's carrying her glasses like this, trying to see through them. Luckily, we had a spare pair. But a very similar thing happened with the last pair of glasses uh, a couple months ago. We were at a basketball game at the school. Um, and the girls had taken her outside for something. They were coming back in. Her glasses fell off with one step. The next step was on the glasses. And one of, the t one of the parents looked at me afterwards and she said, you handled that awful well. And I said, we ordered them from 39glasses.com. It's okay. But in those moments, you know, as a parent, you know, something happens, it's an accident, you know. I have had my share of times where I blow up. But I don't have to. One of the things that convicts me so much there's a song uh, that passions, uh, Passion sings, uh, and it's Glorious Day. That's not the hymn Glorious Day, but what they're, what they're singing about is, and I forget the exact line, I should have I printed it up, but he talks about the chains that were, were bound on you before you were saved, as you were in the grave, and... I think that the lyric says, you broke my chains and I ran out of the grave. And I'll be honest with you, there are times when I look at different areas of my life and I say, those chains are broken. Why am I holding on to them? How, how different would my life be if I would let go of all of that stuff that I don't have, I don't have to. Because I'm saved, because I've been forgiven, 
I'm no longer bound to that. So I just wish I would let go of it all and live and experience the freedom that we have in Christ. So the first resource that Christ gives us that we can use in our war of words is hope. The second one is riches. Now this is one of those things, we're all flesh and blood and human. We know that money is one of the greatest resources that we can ever use, right? Well, that's not the riches that he's talking about here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. What we need to, what we need to think about tonight, where we need to live, are those two words, all things. As his divine power has given to us all things. The Lord will never put us in a situation without equipping us to handle that situation. We always, you know, the, the, uh, we always talk about in, with temptation. You know, there's, there's not been temptation that's, that's come upon man. And I'm butchering I'm somewhere between the King James and the New King James. But there's not been a temptation that man's been into where God has not equipped him to get through it. And that's very true. Um, there is a, it's a false conception that God's not going to give me any, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. Now, where does he get glory in that? We, we often think about this. God's not going to give me more than I can handle. You know what? God is going to give you more than you can handle. But he's never going to give you more than he can handle. Because what he's going to do is he's going to equip you to go through it. He's, he has the storehouse of these riches that are right there, right for the taking. Matthew chapter 6, Christ is talking. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? I wish I could. Um, and he continues on in that passage, but he's not, he's not just talking about the physical needs that we have. He's talking about the emotional, the spiritual, the relational needs that we have. Do you need patience in handling a difficult relationship? Patience is included in all things. Do you need courage to make a difficult but God-honoring decision? Courage is included in all things. Do you need faith to follow up on that difficult decision? Faith is included in all things. Wisdom in a difficult season of parenting? Wisdom is included in all things. Do you need to extend grace to those who don't deserve it? Grace is included in all things. Do you need to extend forgiveness to someone who has hurt you? Forgiveness is included in all things. In each one of these areas and so many more, we can look at it and say, oh, I, I can't do that. I don't have what it takes to do that. You don't. But you have a heavenly father who has supplied it all for you. We got five kids. Uh, my mornings consist of waking kids up drying their tears because they don't want to wake up. We put on school uniform. Now, this is Amelia and Abigail. The older three can take care of themselves. Um, 
But as soon as I get a million Abigail dressed, get their teeth brushed, their hair done, um, we're downstairs and making peanut butter and jelly. Now, Abigail has to have nut-free peanut butter and jelly because of a peanut allergy in class. But Amelia, she gets the good old Jeff stuff, creamy peanut butter. We've got 10 people in the house. Uh, my wife, myself, our five kids, my wife's grandparents, and her mom. So there's crunchy peanut butter and creamy peanut butter. And so yesterday I'm making peanut butter and it's, it's that big jar. I'll most have to get my fist down in there to get that last bit of peanut butter out of the bottom to make Amelia's sandwich. And um, later yesterday, Sarah's grandmother, Nan, she said, do, you need, do we need anything from the store? I'm going to Walmart. And I said, I think we might be running low on peanut butter. So she goes to the pantry. She said, oh, we got a full one. I said, well, Nan, that's the crunchy. You know, Amelia doesn't like the crunchy. She's like, oh, that's right. She said, did you look in the garage? Of course, we've got a shelf in the garage. And I go out there, and sure enough, there's a two-pack of Jif peanut butter from Sam's just sitting there ready to be opened. And I was thinking about that as I was studying this. I know that Nannyville is well-stocked when it comes to groceries. How much better is my heavenly father, is his storehouse stocked and ready to go for whatever I need? And again, why am I holding on to all this stuff? He has equipped me. He has... He is so rich. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And it's one thing for me to say it, because I say it all the time. It's another thing for me to believe it. And it's a completely different thing for me to access it. For me to go write the check to his account. So we see that Christ has given us hope. He's given us riches. And the third resource is power. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, um, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? We have all sat in sermons. We've heard pastors talk about the word power. And the Greek word for power is dunamis. And what word do we get from dunamis? Anybody? Dynamite. Powerful. Explosive. How has God given us power? What kind of power has God given us? And as I thought about this, I thought about Justin's sermon Sunday morning. Uh, very timely for me, he was talking about the, uh, the parting of the Red Sea. And not really the parting of the Red Sea, but leading up to it. And, and the need uh, for faith and belief that God's got this. And again, very timely uh, in, in my own life. But God just hammered it down because Monday night, bedtime, I opened up our five-minute Bible stories book, and right there, Moses parts the Red Sea. And so I got to thinking about it. Uh, growing up as a kid, every Easter or that weekend, we would turn it on ABC, whatever channel that was, probably 24 in Memphis, and we would watch the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston. Love that movie. To this day, I could sit and I could watch it straight through. Um, and I contrasted that with the Bible story that I was reading. With the little cartoon 
bald-headed little Moses man, you know, big old smile on his face as he leads eight people through a little dirt path, you know, through the stream. That's not how it was. And, I, and then I say, the Ten Commandments, 1956, cutting-edge graphics as Charleston Heston raises those hands and then you can see the stop motion and I mean it's terrible those graphics are terrible but when I was a kid that was the best thing in the world and I think about that but you know it was so much better to be there that's one of those things Sarah's grandmother talks about Kodak memories you know when I get to heaven I want to go up to one of those children of Israel and be like tell me I want to know what it looked like because I can't imagine it. The power that God had that he just channeled through when he blew that east wind that separated the waters is the same power that I have access to in my life. Now, am I going to go out here and part the Atlantic Ocean? No. Am I going to have the power to part the, the St. John's River? I doubt it. Heading up to the north side, I might be able to make a splash in the Trout River if I jumped in. But that's it. But when I think about the power that I have, the power of God in my life, it is the same power that Christ hung on that cross. He was buried. He went to hell. He paid the penalty for my sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. He rose again the third day. That power is in us. And we don't tap into it. If we're in, in one of those difficult seasons, whether it's with our spouse, with our kids, with our family members, our boss at work, I was talking to somebody about the guy behind him on I-10 this morning who was riding his bumper. Those natural inclinations that we have, God has given us the power to turn those and to use them for his glory and for our good. When we think about not just our words, but everything that we're supposed to do, we have one job. You know, you see it, you see the memes on, on, uh, uh, online all the time, you know, somebody, you know, is completely messed up something, they have dropped the ball, there is a huge mess everywhere, and it says you had one job. Well, as Christians, we have one job. That's it. We are to honor and glorify the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Part of doing that are the words that we use. Every single word that comes out of our mouth should direct someone to Christ. When we think about that and the awesome responsibility that is, it can be overwhelming. But we have the power to do it. We have the power to just turn. Uh, another song we sing, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for our good. We have that power within us. And, and just to think about the, the words here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Here in my notes I've got two words and a phrase, all caps. And then I pulled straight out of that verse. Exceedingly 
or I'm sorry, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. There are times when God will answer the prayers that we didn't even know we had. And if we were to sit and go around the room, each and every one of us has, has had those, where he met a need that we didn't know we had before we ever needed it. Exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask. We have hope. We have riches. We have power. And finally, the fourth resource that he mentions here in this passage is rule. And I'll just read it here again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places? Um, I passed over it. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, and inheritance of the saints. You know, it's in the right place. The rule, he talks about, he, he far above the principality and the powers and, the, and might and dominion. Our God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the ruler of everything. When we look at the, at the little nitpicky things in this world, when we look at even the, the bigger issues, Aaron just mentioned the stuff going over in Ukraine and Russia and the geopolitical stuff and all this. Jesus rules over all of it. He allows things to happen. Why? Just like Aaron prayed, so that he might receive the honor and the glory. When we, when I think about the rule, none of us like rules. Absolutely none of us like rules. Last night there was a, uh, there was a very heated basketball game at the Covenant School of Jacksonville. Uh, Debbie's back here. Greg was right in the middle of it. Um, you don't have to ask him about it. But, you know, in there, there was, a, there was an eruption in the crowd, and, and it stemmed from a technical foul. Um, again, you know, it's back and forth. The other team was, was ahead by, I think it was um, 15, 17 points at halftime, and, and Covenant had come back through the third quarter, and they cut it down to two. And so we're in the fourth quarter, and it's back and forth and back and forth. And there was one point where um, the opposing team knocked the ball out of bounds. The Covenant player grabbed it. All right, he might have been fouled. But the Covenant player bounced past it to the other, the other team's player, the, the offending player there. Well, he took that ball and underhanded, chucked it at the guy's face. He's three feet away from him. The ref is standing right there. And like uh, Sarah or, or uh, one of the girls said, that referee looked at that player like he was his mama. Like, you did not just do that. As he grabbed his whistle and he blew the whistle and he got a technical foul. None of us like the rules when they are constraining us, but we always like the rules when they're protecting us. But you, you can't give and you take, they all work together. We've all sat in, in sermons and we've heard um, preachers or teachers talk about how crazy would it be if I sat up here 
with a big bowl of flour. And I just started eating flour. And then I cracked open a raw egg and tossed it down the gullet. And I added all the other ingredients individually. Y'all would think I was crazy. But when I get the right mixture, in the right circumstances, with the right amount of time and heat, I get a nice, beautiful cake that is warm and delicious and so bad for me. God gives us what we need when we need it. He gives it to us in the right proportions. And that is, that's the rule. There's never an exception to God's rule. If there was, he wouldn't be God. So what we need to do is we need to look at this and say, okay, this is the rule. This is how God wants us to use our words. I can't say I'm going to have patient words in my dialogue with my wife and kids, but not with my customers. Or I can't say, it would be bad for business if I was not being patient with my customers, I can't say I'm going to be one way with my customers and be the real Kendall with my wife and kids. The rule is the rule. Every word that I speak needs to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we don't rest in Christ's control, when we don't submit to his rule, we will resort to using our words for lesser tactics. We'll use our words to instill fear, to threaten somebody, to make them feel guilty, to try to manipulate somebody. We have all been victims or even guilty of passive-aggressive dialogue and behavior. That's not, that's not okay. And here's why. How does any of this, fear, threat, guilt, manipulation, passive-aggressive, how does any of that convey the truth and glory of Jesus Christ? There is, uh, I've been very open, I came out of a much more standards-driven life. Um, I don't neglect, I, I don't want to look back on my, or I don't want to look down on my upbringing because it made me the man I am today and God used it in a great and mighty way. But there is a movement of people who want to kind of forsake everything because there were a few bad eggs. Maybe some somebody abused power or or took liberty with the scriptures where there wasn't liberty and there might have been more um, more legalistic teaching or, or, or something like that. And there's actually a, um, there's a very popular Twitter handle that is dedicated to posting sermons and clips of sermons that don't line up with scripture in some cases. In some cases, they're just kind of outrageous. There's one, and one in particular I laugh at every time. Every time I see it, and, and I know Justin's going to laugh when I say the word sack butt. There's this preacher who goes on and on and on talking about the different 
musical instruments in Nebuchadnezzar's, what he says, rock band uh, in Daniel. And he, he goes off on the sack butt and he admits, I don't know what that is. I hadn't studied it out, but I'm pretty sure I'm against it. Ridiculous. But I was actually reading an article this morning um, from the Gospel Coalition asking if posting these clips and these sermons is a healthy thing for the church. Now, there were some people who were saying the Gospel Coalition is, is they've been taking a soft stance on things, so they're probably just trying to smooth everything over and say, oh, let's just get along to get along. There are some people who are saying we need to call out heresy where it needs to be called out. But I look back through the lens of our study. What is the goal? What is the goal of, even if they're using someone else's words, what is the goal of posting that? If their goal in posting that is to shame someone, to bring them down, to further an, alt, uh, uh, an, an alternate point, if their goal is anything other than to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's sin. That's one thing with our kids, you know, it's, I've got five kids, you know, and, and, and Aaron Fisher was just saying, he said, I think our kids would like for us to switch. He said, you teach the teens, I'll teach them here. My kids hate it when I teach them. He said, I think it's because they know the real me. I was like, no, it's because you're going to use them as, as examples. I said, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, last week, we had a, uh, an instance, and it was a Sunday morning. I'd given the babies a bath in our uh, bathroom, and um, I've given, it's just, I don't know what it was, but when Sarah and I got married and, and Emma was born, Sunday mornings, I gave baths. I'm five for five for pulling umbilical cords off on a Sunday morning bath. That's just like, I guess God ordained it. That was going to be my job. But until they can bathe themselves, I got it. So Sunday morning, I give them a bath. Well, I've got two little frozen towels, and I can't hang them up in their bathroom because the big girls are in there getting dressed and all that. So I was like, you know, I'm going to set them right here in front of the door. Somebody's going to see them, and somebody's going to pick them up. And after two or three times of somebody stepping over them, I went back and I told Sarah, I was like, I'm doing a social experiment here. Like, don't panic if you see towels on the floor. Social experiment. Now, I can say this because she will tell you, if I were to rip my shirt open right now, you're going to see my superhero costume, Captain Oblivious. That's me. So my kids get it honest, but... For about an hour and 15 minutes, traffic just flowed over those tiles. And I was like, really? So we go to leave for church, I hang them up, and so we're on the way to church. I'm like, hey girls, anybody see those tiles on the floor this morning? They're just looking around. They're like, what are you talking about, Dad? And so I told them, and I said, look, I said, here's the thing. If you see something that needs to be done, the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. 
So if you know that there are towels on the floor, and it would be a good thing for you to pick them up, you just don't do it. It's sin. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, thou shalt pick up thy sister's towels. But the principle is there. You know to do it, so do it. How many times do we, with our words, know to do something, and we don't do it? Or do we know not to do something, and we don't do it? So many times we look, at the, we look at our words and we say, I need to use my words better. And I admitted to y'all uh, in week one, I am terrible about not using my words. This week, I was talking with Emma, you know, one of those dad ad- admission moments. Emma, I, we should have done this a long time ago. I should have just poured my heart to you out about this and let you know instead of letting this uneasy feeling be there and, and having your mom intermediate. No, that's not, that's not okay. It's not how it should be. But so often we look at our words and we say, I need to use, I need to quit abusing my words. And I want to encourage you as we leave here on Wednesday, as we come back on Sunday morning, think about the unspoken words. Think about the way that your words can be a blessing to someone. Think about how they can edify because when we look at that rule and we look at, you know, the, the mixture, we talked about the cake ingredients and all that. It's not just, I'm going to use fewer words so I can make sure they're, they're well and they're seasoned properly. We need to mix them out. The book of James talks about, you know, the, uh, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. And I got thinking about our vocabulary and this is the English language. These are the words that we are given. Now, there are going to be certain words on one end of the spectrum that you will never, ever, 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 ever use to edify someone. And there are words on the other end of the spectrum that you will never, ever, 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 ever use to demean or tear someone down. So the vast majority of the words in the English language we're going to use one way or another. So in this huge bundle of words, are we going to tilt towards a side where we're going to edify people? Or are we going to tilt to the sides where we're going to tear people down? It might just be a kind word. The Bible says fitly spoken. I believe it says there's like apples of gold. It might be somebody who just needs a hello a smiling face. How you doing? My name's Kendall. You doing okay today? How's your mom and them? It's just a kind word. But everything that we have, including our words, should be a tool for blessing others and lifting up the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you so much for this day, Lord, and I thank you for equipping us, Lord, as your church with everything that we need. Lord, that you have given us all things, exceeding abundantly, more than we can ask for. And I pray that we would go home and we would keep that thought in our mind. No matter what temporal thing we, we are struggling with in this world, no matter the, the circumstances we find ourselves in, that you 
have given us hope. You have given us access to the storehouse of your riches. That you have given us the power and the rule over our words. Father, be with us as we leave this place. I do ask that you be with Pastor Sam's and those who are sick. Uh, I pray that you would be with the teens as they travel this weekend. Help them to have a good time. Pray that it would be an encouraging time for them and a time to build some unity within our youth. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.